When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's get started with phone calls. And first up this morning is Sue. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Boy, my wind chimes have been active here. Hi, uh, then they're going to get more and more active all day long, I think. But, you know, this is January. We've got to expect a little that's, bit of it. That's all right. Say, um, back in the fall, we talked about peach trees. And I lost my list right now, but I'm pretty sure it was like Elba, June Gold, and John Sanic were some of the recommendations. Those are three good ones, especially for okay. North San Antonio and the Near Hill Country. Very good. Now, my question is, I was only planning on two peach trees. You know, I had heard that while they're self-pollinating, it's better to have another one. But if I go with these and, and pick one of, you know, two of the three varieties, then they're going to be making fruit at different times, are they still compatible pollinators, or should I not even worry about that? That's a great question. And, uh, yes, they all bloom at the same time. And, you know, what I always tell people is you have a decision to make. Do you want all your peaches at once? If you're a person who wants to can and freeze and make jellies and things like that, yeah, you probably want the crop to come in all at once. So you set up this huge canning or freezing operation or whatever, and you get it done. Most of us just love peaches we can pick ripe off the tree. And by choosing varieties, and I don't I don't have all the ripening dates in front of me, but you can get peaches that ripen all the way from May up through August, which gives you a just a long season for good fresh peaches. But uh, they all bloom about the same time, so cross-pollination is not an issue, not going to be any problems there. Great. Okay, then I have a couple other gardening questions. Certainly. When when I grow lettuce, um, my lettuce is actually doing really good. I've never been able to grow lettuce before. But when you start with the seedling, you get a really kind of, even if you do it outdoors, you get a kind of a tall, lanky stem, and then the leaves start about half, three-quarters of an inch up. Are you supposed to bury that stem to give the plant some structure or just let it flop over? Or? You, is your garden in fairly much full sun? Yes. Okay. It the a lot of probably aren't when it starts though. Yeah, you know, it uh, protection. The the more sun they get, the more compact and bushy and low to the ground they will be. Um, you can bury them if you want. What I would tend to do is probably more take a little bit of mulch and just kind of mound it up around the sides to hold them upright. And that's okay to do in lettuces because, you know, they're not a real long-life plant to begin with. But uh, the more sun they get, especially early on, the more compact and lower they will be. It also has a little bit to do with variety. Some of them tend to make a lower, bushier plant. Some of them naturally tend to grow up a little bit taller. But uh, whether they grow upright, whether they flop over a bit, you're still going to be picking the same good leaves from the outside constantly. So um, how much do you want to sacrifice, you know, in in work? Uh, You're not really going to improve your production by getting a more upright. You're just going to have a prettier garden. Okay. Yeah, I had kind of the same problem with the chard and Swiss chard. I thought, well, maybe I'm just not doing this right. I don't know. 
Um, well, light light is the secret because light okay. breaks down the substance in the cells that makes the stem stretch. The more light they get, the more compact and bushy and sturdy the plants become. Now, unlike unlike your lettuces, your Swiss chard can live. I've had it live for up to three years in the garden, and it makes a huge woody stem. It makes a much bigger, much tougher stem than lettuce is ever going to think about making. So um, I would say with chard, just give it a little bit of time. Lettuce is always kind of, it's it's a good grower, but it's just a little bit weaker plant as far when it comes to uh, just structural integrity. Okay. And then I, I should probably almost say, you know, my neighbor has this problem. This is so bad to admit that <laughs> I, I seem not to be able to grow zucchini very well. And I go ahead and I inject the BT in the stems, but is that still, uh, oh gosh, what do you call that, the, the bore? Yeah, the, the vine bore. My my stems just look like lattice work. I'm yep. amazed that they, is that the borer doing that's, that, or that's, that yep. just roly-polies? Or? That's, that's mostly the borers. Roly-polies wow. may cause a little bit of a problem, but it's about mm, probably 80% the borers, so... Keep on injecting, but also yeah. start growing a little bit of what they call the tatumi, uh, the what they, they call the uh, calabacita. The tatumi has such a narrow, a small stem, the borer simply can't get inside of it. Yeah, and I do like that. I have that. Maybe I'll just give up on the other one. You know, I I don't know. You know, whether it's things being warmer, I have no idea what it is, but I've never seen as many squash vine borer problems as we've had the past uh, maybe five years. I probably went for 25 years and never saw a vine borer, and now it's just a constant battle. Now, there are some good results coming out on some of uh, uh, what they call the pheromone traps, I'm going to be experimenting with a new one this spring myself, and uh, I'll give you a report on it. But you might just Google pheromone traps because um, a friend, uh, you know, here in the area had said that he had oh, just incredible success with them the past year and passed along one of the traps to me, which is what I'm going to try this spring. But uh, that may be our best answer in the long run, but I just haven't had enough experience with them yet to say that this for sure is the way to go. But they're inexpensive, and golly, you don't have to get a whole lot of zucchini to pay for them. But that's one other thing you might look into. Well, I may join the experiment there. I'd love to do it. Love to have you. I'd love All to hear right. your results. Okay. I thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Sue. Thank you for the call this you morning. Yeah, bye. bye. All right. Let's uh, go a little further south. Good morning, Mimi. Good morning. Are you? I um, bet you're tired if you just got in last night. Well, I, let's say that it's just uh, it's good to be back sleeping in your own bed. Uh, um, fortunately, you know, on the road, I don't have to get up quite as early as I do every day here in town. So, uh, yeah, rested but tired would be a good way to put it, even though that sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. I have flax lily, and what's the cold tolerance on that? You know, if it gets cold very suddenly, like it did early this fall, they can they can suffer damage at 26, 28 degrees. Typically, they are cold-hardy down into the teens, and even if they freeze down, they come back out again. But I have, in general, not seen 
foliage damage, like you say, unless it's just a very sudden cold following a lot of warm weather. I've not seen cold damage um, until you get down at least in the low 20s. Okay. And uh, I'm on back on amaryllis. Uh, I need to repot. Can I repot now? This one big pot that I have is so squeezed in, and but now the leaves have died back. Okay. Is it okay to do that? This is the best time going to divide and repot. Yes, it is. Okay. And uh, also, then I have another one, uh, same size pot, and it has too many in there. Can you tell an amaryllis bulb from a a belladonna or a a crinum or any other kind of lily? Do they tend to have the longer necks, or is that longer necks? from being squeezed in the pot. I, it's probably from being squeezed in the pot. Belladonna is actually a type of amaryllis, believe it or not. And That's what I understand. The, the amaryllis, and you almost have to look at them side by side to see this, but the amaryllis is going to be a much rounder bulb, whereas the crinum is going to be a more oh egg-shaped bulb, I guess would be the best way to put it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the, the amaryllis will practically be i mean it's going to be a little flatter on the bottom but it's going to be almost as round as a tennis ball where uh where your different crinums are going to be much more much more egg shaped i wouldn't really call them long necked but uh the bulb itself just has a different shape to it uh, well see these do have like my other crinums those great big bulbs mm-hmm. they're they're really you know don't have that skinnier neck to them they're they're more of a you know distinguished top you know so i just i wanted to try to divide them but i wanted to keep the same ones in the same you know same type of bulb and uh but i'll just have to worry with that i think you know it's they're they're just so many different kinds of crinums i mean when we were in florida this week we saw crinums that were plants were five feet tall and bloom spikes were much taller than that and yet they're smaller crinums that don't ever get over two or three feet tall they're crinums that have you know the big bell-shaped flowers like an amaryllis and there are other things even though there's several different genera of of plants that just fall in that general category of crinums. It's kind of like gingers. When we talk about a ginger, we may be talking about any one of basically eight or ten totally different groups of plants. And so it's it's real hard to generalize on crinums. Now, uh, there is the, the genus crinum, but then we're looking at uh, lots of different ones, hymenocallus and several others that, that people just lump together under that. So that there's no one general rule as to what a crinum bulb is going to look like. Okay. Let me get to another deal then. I have uh, uh, I live kind of on a slope, so I have a lot of, uh, you know, erosion. And so I've been transferring uh, my... Uh, Amaryllis on the, well, I divided it into three sections coming down the hill. Okay. And I have uh, my first layer on to the outside, but to the lawn is the uh, hearts and flowers or ice plant. Right. Or what do you call that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now we're not talking crinums. We're actually like talking vine. a low-growing succulent. Yes. Um. Oh gosh, I have to think real hard on this one. I believe it may be Aptemia. Check that, A-P-T-E-M-I-A. I believe that's the genus on the so-called hearts and flowers. 
Okay. Well, when I purchased some at one time, the nursery called it hearts and flowers. Yeah, and it's other people have said ice plant, and I know there's a different. Type oh, there and, and well, and and just like crinums, there's so many different kinds of plants. Uh, the mesembryanthium is another one they call an ice plant, but I believe the one they call hearts and flowers is uh, aptamia. Okay. And anyway, I have a section of that about uh, two and a half feet wide. Then I have a, a section of amaryllis. Okay. And that, uh, can I leave that hearts and flowers grow into the amaryllis? Will it do something to them or or? Uh, do I need to keep it out of the amaryllis? I, you know, the little hearts and flowers never gets real tall. It may get thick, but it's not like it's going to grow up and cause a problem shading out or crowding out. Uh, I see no problems with letting them grow together. I will tell you that if you let them do that and then decide you don't like it, you're going to spend a lot of time on your t- mm-hmm. hands and knees trying to get it pulled out, but it's wow. not going to limit the growth or flowering one or the other either way. Okay, well, that was my other deal. It's doing a good job of erosion, and it has really grown. So oh, yeah, and, of course, you're you're not quite as concerned, at least Corpus Christi, but uh, the mo- many of those, uh, that group of plants, they are so succulent, they are so waterlogged, they love them in California because they actually make a pretty good fire break. They just simply will not burn. And everybody knows uh, just the tragic problems we've seen in California with wildflowers this year. But many people, especially um, in Southern California, will grow a big bed of them just because uh, unless it's real windblown, fire will simply not go across a bed of it. That's what I understand. My neighbor's mother lives out in California, and she has another plant, and it looks, you know, saying it's a succulent and she called it a pickle plant. She said that's what they have in California to prevent, you know, keep the fire. Well, it's yeah, again, that's the thing with common names. What what we call one thing in Texas, they may call a different thing there. And I think Californians, if they don't know the name, they just make it up. So take it for what it's worth. But the flowers, I think, look pretty much the same. But they have a pretty bloom. Oh yeah. So. Well, that's all for today, and I thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Mamie. Thanks for the call. Bye. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, we're going to talk to Jerry next, and then we're going to uh, talk to, looks like Jim up there. But right now, let me hit line number three. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Good morning. I have a phalaenopsis orchid. Okay. And... I have never seen them do this, but I've got a new one growing about halfway up the stem that had bloomed a long time. What do I do? Do I just leave it on there, or can I replant it? When it it gets, it will start forming little roots. Has yours started forming the roots yet? Yes, it's got two of them. And about how long are those roots? Oh, one's about an inch long, and the other's a half an inch. I would I would let them go until the longer one gets to be about two inches and the shorter one gets to be about an inch. Okay. And then you can either simply cut that section of bloom spike, just cut above and below and pot it up. Or usually if you do it very gently, you can just break that new plantlet off of the bloom stem and pot it up separately. Now, it's going to be exactly like the mother plant. It's, uh, it's just a piece of the mother plant. And... How healthy does the mother plant look? Is it going strong? Does it look good? Does it have yes, good roots? Yes, it is, and it's 
got some new leaves, got a new little leaf coming out of the center. So it looks good. Well, that's that's good because there are two reasons that a phalaenopsis will start making, the Hawaiians call them kiki, which is their word for baby, but why it will start making little kikis on the bloom spike. One is through breeding. There's a phalaenopsis that a lot of the little fails these days were bred from called Phalaenopsis ludimaniana, and its offspring tend to produce lots of little plants on the stems, and that's not a bad thing at all. The other problem, though, is that any kind of phalaenopsis, if its roots are starting to rot, if the plant's starting to go downhill, something chemically tells that plant, hey, you know, you may die, so you better make a new plant up on the bloom spike. So a lot of times when I see people that are getting uh, new plantlets started up on the bloom spike, they have not repotted when they should, their root system is starting to rot, and their big plants aren't healthy. So do take a good close look. If it's been a couple of years since it was repotted, you might want to go ahead and repot it. But if your mom, mother plant looks good and it's just making babies out on the stem, it's probably just in its genetic background, and that's a normal thing for it to do oh okay because the stem is uh green above it yeah well it's that and it's possible if you if you look at a phalaenopsis bloom spike you'll see a number of little spots down the stem that have a little thing called a sheath it's like a little bud inside that's covered by this little green sheath over the top of it and that little bud in there when it first starts out it can go one of two ways. It can sometimes branch out and push it, put an additional set of flowers on, or it can actually form a whole new plant, or it can just sit there and do nothing at all until the stem turns brown and shrivels. So um, it's it's not unusual. Uh, usually, if you have a second kiki form on the same bloom stem, it'll be down below. It'll be down toward the mother plant rather than further out. So I don't think you're going to lose anything if you opt to just, you know, play it safe, take your shears and very carefully cut just above and just below the little node where your new plant's forming. But I give it probably probably another month before I take it off and pot it up separately. Oh, okay. I was just like so excited when I saw that because it's been well over a year I think before it bloomed since it's bloomed. Yeah. And well, it had two spikes on it and one's gone. I mean, one one side is gone, but this one just kept, stayed green and just kept, it looked like it was going to try and bloom some more. And you know, and it's it's so funny, these things, I don't know whether we call them promiscuous or what, but uh, I have seen in my old days, I uh, used to judge orchid shows, uh, oh gosh, different parts of the country and even around the world, but someone who has grown one of these Phalaenopsis ludomaniana hybrids really well You'll have a plant that it may have three or four little plants have grown together in the pot. Then it will have eight or ten of these little kikis up on the bloom spikes. And the kikis will actually have their own bloom spikes and their own flowers. And uh, I've seen a plant like this with maybe a total of 30 or 40 bloom spikes and a total of two or 300 flowers at a time on it. So they're fun things to grow and grow them well and they'll really reward you in the long run. Okay. Now I have one more question about the Meyer lemon. I still okay. have a couple of Meyer lemons on my tree. Sure. And didn't you? I think you said it. Does it get into the? They can stand the twenties. Oh yeah, they can go down to the upper twenties with no problem. Again, we had that one cold spell early. It was yeah. so cold that it uh, damaged a lot of the foliage. But they'll they'll go down to twenty six without any problems. Oh okay. Well, that's 
all I have today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Jerry. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye.